Episode 13, Filmmaker Gary Conklin. My name is Michael Delgado and I'm your host. I come to you each week from the fantastic library bar in the spectacular Mayfair Hotel, right here in downtown LA. Today, I'm meeting documentary filmmaker Gary Conklin. He's here to convince me otherwise, that the making of a motion picture is an endless contention of tawdry egos, some of them powerful, almost all of them loud, and almost none of them capable of anything much more creative than credit stealing and self-promotion. Gary slices across the Art Deco appointed lobby of the beautiful hotel. A red turtleneck under a navy double-breasted blazer, gray slacks. White hair looking every bit the Hollywood throwback. He even orders a martini. Bombay. Stirred. Dirty. It's time to meet. You know Geiger's bookstore across the street? I think I may have passed. You know Geiger by sight? Geiger's in his early 40s. Medium height. Fattish. Soft all over. Charlie Chan mustache, well-dressed, wears a black hat, affects the knowledge of antiques and hasn't any. And, oh, yes, I think his left eye is glass. Hello. 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 My guest today is Gary Conklin, well-known documentarian and a raconteur. He is best known for his 1973 portrayal of artist Rufino Tamayo. His powerful first-hand accounts in 1976 from people living between world wars in the memories of Berlin, the twilight of Weimar culture. But Conklin has also been recognized for his pieces with director John Huston in his Making of Under the Volcano. And on the expat author and Beat Generation influencer Paul Bowles, with whom he spent months together in Tangiers. He has a few stories. Please welcome Gary Conklin. Welcome, Gary Conklin. Thank you. <laughs> I'm glad you're here. Um, we've been laughing because we've been, we've, uh, we've been telling stories about uh, the old film stars and such. But um, as I mentioned in the uh, intro, you've been um, making documentaries for a long time and, and um, have had you know, quite the filmography. And I want to talk about some of those uh, specific ones, especially I'm particularly interested in the Ed Ruscher one because this is a Los Angeles-oriented podcast. I wanted to get your thoughts on the state of making documentaries now because it seems like there's a real like golden age of documentary now because you know people like Netflix have put in something close to three billion dollars in buying uh, documentaries now or producing them over the last three years uh, the free solo was a huge hit uh, and you know of course the recent um, Oscar winner um, there's now leaving Neverland which is a, a shocking sort of story um, and they're extremely popular. And, and I think when you were making the films, um, that that was certainly not the case. There was not that kind of an audience. You'd have to go to a, a, an art house or what have you to see it. And I was curious what your thoughts are on, you know, if you were to make documentaries now, what might be the difference? 
Well, the biggest difference is the fact that one doesn't have to pay for the film. Uh, you can make a film now. In fact, I, I made a film. I say it isn't finished, but it really is finished for nothing. I, because I because of the equipment, or because the, you can the, shoot it on an iPhone, because I, or because I, I didn't somebody even else shoot it. Paid, I, because somebody else is paying for it. No. <laughs> <laughs> I've had that. That's what, that's always the best because yeah. you take it off the top. <laughs> but uh, no, you, it was Hollywood social life in the 1930s and 40s, and uh, I just called the people whom I knew and whom I didn't know and. Some said yes to an interview, others said no. Uh, I had a, a video camera, a really bad one, that was a big problem, this was 1993. And, uh, you know, it didn't cost any money. The film is very expensive, people forget. And also mm -hmm. the transfers, and, and there, there's so much more with film that you right. have to do, and it makes it, Oh, I see. So it, it made that, it expensive. Yeah. In other words, I had lots of ideas for films, wrote them all out, everything, documentaries, and I just couldn't raise the money for yeah. uh, because you know I needed at least fifty thousand. Yeah. And and but now you're saying because it's digitized, that cuts you, you, much of the expense yeah, out. And, you can and the shoot fact it with is your that iPhone. you have computers. Uh, well, you, you didn't have to rent a moviola. <laughs> Which isn't, I like them, you know, they were, they, yeah, yeah. but they were relatively expensive. Sure. Now you just have a computer at home. Right. Uh, what else? There's, there's very... I, I was interested, though, in, you know, when I looked at, you know, doing my little bit of homework uh, for the interview, I, I, I was struck by, you know, looking at how you approach the work, and, like, for example, in your Gore Vidal. So uh, the story of Gore Vidal and, and, and his uh, run for the, a Senate seat um, in a Democratic primary, I believe, right, against uh, Jerry Brown. And uh, most of the film is, uh, you know, it's pretty straightforward. There's not real uh, narrative, and, uh, there's no narration, um, and uh, it, it is about editing, of course, but, uh, and then, a, and Gore Vidal's an, an amazing speaker. But now documentaries have like a, um, a like a three act structure. There's you know a beginning, a middle, and an end, and there's even a you know a serious point of view. And I think you know, and you're in using the Gore Vidal thing um, as an example. Yours was more almost cinema verite, right? You almost like point and shoot. Like that that was a cinema verite yeah. film, yeah. And, but, and, and in the same way that a, a film, a documentary many years ago on, on Kennedy running was a, you know, a, a cinema verite. It was popular in the late 50s and, mm. uh, 50s and early 60s. And I was, uh, when I went to film school, and you know, I was really taken by cinema verite. Right. So that that was a cinema very day. That was and and but now you know I think the documentaries really borrow a lot from. Uh, well, what they do, what I dislike most about a lot of contemporary uh, documentaries on people who are well known, they ask other people who are well known what they think of this person who is well known, oh. 
and it gets to be a litany of you know great praise instead of the person talking about himself which you know, they have other people talking about the person right. and I, I think yeah I mean the constant praise is sickening yeah. you know he's the greatest who's ever lived he's wonderful he's so beautiful you know all yeah. this shit well so you're not gonna make a film like that about me is that what you're saying <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's also interesting too that to compare, uh, you know, and I, your films to again things like uh, Free Solo or what have you, um, which I'd like to see. I assume it's really marvelous. Yeah, it is. A, it is a. It's a breathtaking film. Oh, you've um, seen it? Yes, yes. Um, but it, you know, it's not. Documentaries aren't viewed as. Uh, you know, cinematic spinach anymore, right? Like there used to be a, a, an attitude towards documentaries, I think. You mean artistic, the shots were supposed to be beautifully composed. Well, I think, you know, in terms of how they were treated in the box office or whatever, it was like, you know, you didn't go see them as entertainment themselves. They would, they would be beautiful, perhaps, or more, they were something that was good for you, right? You needed to get this information. And now it seems to be like there. It's almost like a, a, a mashup of reality TV and, and cinema, where again, like there's a beginning, a middle, and an end. And, and um, I think you approached your films quite differently. Yeah. Well, I was influenced first of all by Robert Flaherty. Oh. So that had something to you know and the, the idea. The Nanook of the North guy. Yeah, and Moana. And Many, a few others. They didn't make that many films. That's, uh, but they were really good. And the, the Nanook, he had to go back and shoot it again because he lost. The, he lost film, and he had the, to shoot it again. He went back and shot it again. I mean, in 1921, that wasn't the easiest thing to do. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so that, and actually, we're talking about Nanook of the North, which uh, you know, as you guys are probably familiar with, but. Um, that's it's recognized as like the real first documentary, right? And that was when nineteen twenty something. I think it came out in twenty two. I'm not sure. Some, right. Some twenty nineteen, twenty twenty one, twenty. And what and what struck you about that was? was well, what struck me was the beauty of it. Mm. It's beautiful to look at. Yeah, I, I mean, I haven't seen it for a long time, but mm. I have seen it. And Moana was beautiful. And, uh, what was Moana about? That was the South Seas. Uh, and then he did another. He did a film. He did Taboo in 1931 with Mornau, but Mornau was more interested in the story, hmm. and and and, and Flaherty wasn't. And Flaherty dropped out. But much of the footage is from Flaherty's, hmm. but that, which I think is a, a great movie. Taboo. I love this film. Right. So, all right, so let, let's talk about your films then. I mean, you had a relationship with John Huston, right? And, and did it predate the, the Under the Volcano filming and your documentary in that, or? Yes, it does predate. Uh, John Huston, one of my three heroes as a young and adolescent. I, I did this, uh, I shot a film on Rufino Tamayo. Yeah. And I... I said, you know, I, I wrote to him or something. Said, can we, uh, can can you do the, the narration? 
the son. And he said, fine, well, I don't know, let, let, let's meet. And so we met at his agent's office on the strip, and you know, he wanted to see a film of mine, and I showed him uh, Paul Bowles, uh, whom he knew, he was a friend. Not oh. a friend of, but he, sure. he, uh, was, he worked with him, uh, which he liked a lot. And he said, sure, I'll do the narration for your Tamayo film, because I really love Tamayo, too. Yeah, well... It, and uh, that's how I and went up to his house and did the narration. No kidding. And that was... And then he... I have to add this. His praise of the film was unbelievable. So the, <laughs> well, There you go. See, you get he, the praise too. He never stopped. I went... I, uh, after he had seen it in front of a lot of people too, I was really happy. Uh, and then uh, he was under the volcano. A friend of mine told me he was doing under the volcano. I said, I'd like to make a documentary on him doing under the volcano. Uh, although I don't think he was the right person to have done it. I think Joe Losey, who really wanted to do it, could have done. Could have understood that book better. Oh, really? that's what I feel. Huh. But uh, Houston did well, it. He's not here to defend himself. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and uh, but you're making up that that. Uh, that particular documentary of yours is is, is lauded because it it, um, it instead of being as you mentioned just people yakking about the other person, um, you actually spend time watching the decision making uh, as it goes on. Right, like there's um, you watch Houston decide things and talk things over, and and uh, and as opposed to just showing. Um, clips of the film and say, oh, this happened and that happened. Yeah, no, it was a complete, you know, it started with a shot that I always loved. He used, used in, in Treasure of the Sierra Madre has his shoes showing. Oh, yeah. I so I begin the film with the shoes showing. So. Oh, okay. And I don't know, I didn't begin it with, I wanted to begin it, I have to tell you. I went to Day of the Dead, Day of the Dead, the, the night and, and the place where you have to go, the island. And I happened to have gone with uh, a big affair I had, oh. and uh, my <laughs> well, very nice. and my wife discovered Found this. Found out! Oh my God! And had such a scene, and and Absolutely. I had a friend who was going to he was going to edit it, and he and my wife called him leave out those scenes of Day of the Dead, and he did. <laughs> And these oh. scenes of the Day of the Dead are really beautiful. Oh, shoot. And that's how, because Houston, well. Houston wanted me to do the uh, uh, the credits to begin the film. So, you know, I, didn't, I wanted to do a documentary, but so I did the credits a week, you know, a week with the greatest cameraman for me, <laughs> Gabriel Figaro. Oh. who more or less tried to instruct me how to do it and of course the instruction wasn't too good <laughs> <laughs> well, but if because Houston papers. saw it and he said Gary I don't think this will do or something like yeah. that <laughs> he don't think this will do so <laughs> All right, now, this footage on the day of the dead this, he wanted dumb it. We had, it was eventually uh, done by his son and there were these Little formations of people. Oh, the little, uh, the little paper mache people. You mean? Or right. something like that, and you know, this is what he wanted, and oh, I, oh, oh. and I couldn't. But 
the real thing was more would have been more beautiful. I yeah, because uh, it oh, cuts well, a, because it cut immediately to a scene he is directing about the Day of the Dead. And this original. Oh yeah, uh, that would have been better. It well, it's been your a marvelous fault for cop. having a being a philanderer, you. So, um, <laughs> but the uh, I was going to ask you something. Oh, so the the uh, Tamayo piece um, that was before the under the volcano thing, right? And um, the uh, and it has pieces in it from uh, Octavio Paz, right? Mm -hmm. He actually he reads in it yes. and he's one of my favorite authors I, I uh, and poets I um, I have uh, the labyrinth of solitude I think it is yeah right yeah, yeah. labyrinth of solitude um, by the bedside I just I refer to it regularly because it's just beautifully written yeah it's a really gorgeous book and and I think that you know with uh, Tamayo and Pause and then say, I don't know, maybe Louise Barigan as an architect. Which they're sort of contemporary, but um, you know, they I wanted to do a film on Barigan. Oh yeah, Barigan. that would have been beautiful. Like I could see that, you know, because of the colors, like you, how you treated the Tamayo piece. Um, you know, they would they seem so quintessentially Mexican, and and uh, so they're they're. If there's a through line in your work that I've seen, it's it's very visually driven. The Tamayo part involves poetry, the colors in it are amazing. It it, it struck me as a really interesting way to go about it. That that instead of, you know, talking heads, there's lots of visuals. Yes. I don't want to break I mean I do two two sides of this. Two <laughs> the other side is I have this series on Berlin. Oh, right. London and I Hollywood. haven't seen they're talking they're interviews uh, mostly interviews but I think the interviews are pretty good I mean the memories of Berlin I don't know I, I it, it's it's Berlin from late 28 to 33. the Weimar yeah Weimar. and uh, so they're they're all interviews not all I mean I have some really good footage from the past I think but uh, that I, I love in the and, last and, and the, the last scene. The last scene is the great pianist teacher walking through the streets of Berlin with his students. The wall. He what, what, I can't think of. He points to the wall and and he says, "Dead, dead, dead." Oh yeah. And then Hitler gives his speech over this and there are scenes of Berlin utterly destroyed over the uh. speech so I think it's a great ending I got this great <laughs> I love <laughs> the ending <laughs> well I, I will have to try to find it is that are these things on oh well, yeah I could send it to you yeah but I mean in terms of like, for our listeners like how would they come about finding these things they're not online at all. Oh, uh, well then, if they're not online at all. No, well, I, I looked. I mean, I, I've, before this, I mean, you know, in prep for this, I, I, I saw as much as I could of your work. Oh, and oh, I could, oh, I oh my films aren't online. Yeah, I couldn't find No, them. no, they're not online, and one has to buy them. Yeah, well, uh, and do, can we get them I, I did of have, a, I used to have a distributors, but it's, I must say that it isn't going to be cheap, because... <laughs> <laughs> 
What piece of art? No, is? no, because what piece of no Amazon, and it's very inexpensive. But the fact that that I have to go to the post office first of all I, is a big drag. <laughs> Second of all, you know, well, that's the main well, thing right. that I have. That I just say that you know the post because it's an hour of my time. To, it's a yeah, big yeah, drag God, to go to the no, post no, office. I'm sure. No, I, and so that's the problem. Other, so it isn't that expensive, but you know it's usually well you for know, fifty listen, fifty dollars for the longer ones and forty oh, for the yeah, shorter no, ones. Nothing. I mean, if you're really interested, if I'm really interested in something, a book, yeah. I, I don't mind paying. Uh, that that shows a great interest. If the, you don't have a great interest, you don't want to pay. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, owning a bookstore and, you know, getting screwed by Amazon in that regard. Yeah, no, I, I totally understand. I mean, I, um, if when and if people go to the site and see the filmography and look at what's available, you know, 50 bucks. I mean, come on, that, that's no problem. So I'm very happy about that. So let's talk about uh, the Ed Ruscha film because... Um, although it's relatively short, right? It's only like I didn't see that one either, and I do. Want well, to see it, that. It, it, it's I think twenty-eight minutes. Yeah, I saw that it was short, but it, it sounded well, fabulous. I don't see, it's, on a lot of art films, I don't understand why they should be that long. Some of them I've <laughs> seen. <laughs> no, I, yeah. why? You know, I, yeah, there's a yeah, certain. It is, I also I want to just mention that I try to do films on people relating them to something else, a country like Paul Bowles, Morocco, Roucher, L.A. It's called L.A. Suggested by the Art of Ed Roucher. That's, and that's what it is. And uh, it's L.A. in a beautiful winter of 1981 and 82. Yeah, no, I well, I've seen stills from it, and they look terrific. And and does does Ed talk on that too, or is it just the film? Ed talks. Mm. Ed, there there are a couple of interviews, and he expresses himself quite well. The problem with the, these the, these two art films is, you know, they don't look like they should look, and I nobody's stepping up to. Except, I have this old friend who who is now the, I found out this on the Academy Awards, he's the, that he is the president of the Academy. And I should contact him to say, who's going to you know, restore these two films that need restoration yeah. because there's dirt on it. Uh -huh. I don't like this dirt. And yeah. another one somebody did on the Roucher, uh, some well-known camera person presented it at the at the museum, this whole retrospective on Rouché. It wasn't just Rouché. Strangely enough, it was Rouché and uh, the great American director. Oh, uh, Kubrick. Kubrick. And it was Kubrick and Rouché. And, and so this man wanted a better DVD. And so we went to this place, and the DVD did look better. The dirt was still there, but the sound had sort of oh, disappeared. No. And I am supported with an older, you know, 780 instead of... I, and, and, and owed something that looks a little better, doesn't... I can't even notice it, and I don't think I'm blind. But the people are so hung up with, you know, like 4K. 4K is going to look that much different. Yeah. I doubt it. 
I mean, except for the, you know, ophthalmologist or, yeah, yeah. or the optometrist. And well, everybody's so used to, look. everything's what you're looking at on all the different screens now. I mean, you know, you hardly go to a theater to watch anything anymore. No, that's a... I did go to the theater to see a film recently, and it was the Polish film. Cold. Oh, yeah, yeah, the, the, I the, went the, to the Cold War. You know, assigned seats. What do I, I don't want an assigned seat. I want to go into the place and find a seat that I like. <laughs> what is this, the theater? Are you kidding me? You're paying me, I have to pay 10 book, bucks more for this? Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, but it, I like the big screen. But it wasn't, this guy doesn't really work on a big screen because the last time I went, it was Dunkirk, which oh. was a big screen. And yeah, I, yeah. But this didn't, and I don't think it's that good. I mean, I didn't think his previous film, they're good, but I, the, the Polish cinema had a period that was extraordinary hmm. in the, in, in the uh, early 60s, late 50s, early 60s, Polish cinema. I, I used to collect the, uh, in, I was living in Paris and I collected the, uh, the posters, yes. And they were quite beautiful, the, the really extraordinarily beautiful posters mm -hmm. the Polish cinema presented, just like the German, uh, I mean, not the Polish cinema, but Poland people, the producers, whomever. But it was the same thing in Germany during the Weimar period. They were very beautiful. Hmm. I, I, I found those posters in Poland and Germany earlier much more attractive than the American posters that mm -hmm. were basic, down-to-earth yeah. for the a popular community. The I'll, others were I'll artistic. I'll have to look into that. I don't know. Well, well, if I can find some, I'll put them up on um, aggeiger.com, which is where this will live. And if I can find some of those posters as well, a comparison, I'll put them up. Yeah, well, po the Polish posters of late 50s and early 60s, okay. and the German posters, I uh, Weimar, late, late 20s, early 30s, okay. I thought were quite good. Yeah. Better than the Americans. Of that period, or just a, yeah. yeah. But for the whole, I've never seen great, yeah, and there are always some, I, you know, I don't deny that. Well, the James Bond posters are always my favorite. But anyway, um, so wait, I have another question. Oh, yeah, I wanted to talk about uh, the Paul Bulls in Morocco. Well, Paul Bulls, right? as well as John Houston, he was the one of the three that, you know, were my hero. The other was Marlon Brando, I never, huh? but Brando didn't make a... I mean, others, other people got into Brando before me. Sure. <laughs> Except I was a, a student at Pasadena uh, City College, which was really a high school the last year. And I was a big fan before he even, his film, his first film, which was... Uh, Wild Ones. No, the, the, the first film was about a paraplegic. He would play the paraplegic in a hospital. What? And that was, it came out, you know, before Tennessee Williams play uh, Streetcar Named Desire. That was, that was the first one. I even do impersonations. Oh, well, to have at it if you'd like to. <laughs> I don't know if I'm that high. <laughs> I, I have a son who does impersonations all the time and I re yeah. rather like them. And I had a friend who was, became famous in America as an impersonator as well as an actor, but he, I taught him when oh. I was in the army, 
how to do Kirk Douglas. Oh. He did it so well, much better than I could, that he was Kirk Douglas. Really? And yeah. I'm trying to think, what, what films were you doing in the war that Kirk was doing? Or what were your catchphrases? Well, it, it's from the, uh, the Big Carnival or Ace in the Hole, but it had two titles. Mm. It was where he's, he's got a story out in the bollocks of this guy caught in a cave. Oh, yes. Yes, I have seen that film. You know, and uh, yeah, and he yeah he's like a down and out uh, reporter. He goes and finds this guy. He's stuck in a cave. He makes him stay there, right? You know, to use him for the story. I think it's what's one the of name Billy, of that film? Well, it has two titles. The first one was Ace in the Hole. Then they change it to the Big Carnival. But Ace and yeah, I think and it's, everybody's I think it's Ace great in, the in it. And Billy Wilder is probably his favorite film. Not his. But, you know, it has to be up in the... Sure. He loved this movie. Uh, nobody else liked it that much. It was like the Coen Brothers second. Yeah, I didn't really like it all that much. I mean, I've seen it. I, I, See it again, man. It's yeah. hard as nails, and he's fabulous. Yeah, yeah. And the last scene... I liked it. Who plays the woman in the um, uh, cafeteria or wherever that they kind of... The wife of the... the oh, victim. right. Yeah, that's right. And uh, she's... Fabulous. Yeah, that's a, she's. I think she steals that film. I, he's a little over the top. I don't, who's, who Kirk played? is always over the top. <laughs> that's the whole. It's like seeing the. It's like seeing the film, the Cool Brick movie. You know, The Shining, over the top. How over the top can you get? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's Nicholson. It's a fun movie. You should check it out. Ace in the Hole. Okay, so Peter Bowles, you did you go to Morocco? I haven't seen this film either. Well, but did well you? I had, yes, I went to Morocco. I was in the army in Germany, and I had a cushion job. I ended up with you know special army special special services, and I was in the acting company. And oh, okay. I and a woman who was running it liked me they immensely. Had an acting company. Yeah. Well, we, well you would like like kind of like. Pre-USO, you would go and... Yeah, it was a, USO was much earlier than that, but, the, oh, really? but what I'm saying is that uh, I had been through, through some tough experiences before, and I walked, and the, the coldest winter, I, I think, in, in, in Czechoslovakia, in eastern uh, Germany and Czechoslovakia, and I walked for two miles to get the fuck out of this scene in which I was some German, I mean, sergeant who liked me immensely a little too much i was trying to escape <laughs> it's like the movie i saw i remember the sergeant it was just like that it, they say you know the, the, the sergeant was after me and then hated me and i had to get out of this scene and i had almost frostbite i walked for two miles called a guy by the buck henry it was you know a comedian actress, yeah, 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 yeah. and he said, "Come on over here." You know, and I did my, I did a little scene from uh, and, uh, Miller's Death of a Salesman. They accepted me. It was great. You know, it was wonderful. We just the story. I've lost the story where I was going to somebody else. What? Oh, oh. The fact is that he left, and then this woman came in. I forget her name, who liked me immensely, and I played a couple of leading parts. And she yeah. wanted me to play another leading part. And I was at at night. I read 
uh, let it come down in one city. And I said, fuck that, I'm going to go to North Africa. Oh, okay. So I, and okay, I came so back to you, the United when States. Went, when you went to Tangier, you weren't in the army anymore because no. the war was over. And you had stayed in Europe, and then you went, you were in Rome, and then you went to Tangier. Yeah, well, this is a long time later. I went to oh, Tangier right. the first time in 1955, 54, 55, and I went back to Tangier in 1969 to make a film on Paul Bowles. Okay, I see, I see, I see, I see. So you did, okay, so you didn't meet him in, in 55. No. You went and talked to him much later in 69 or whatever. Yeah. I see, okay. Okay, so also for the listeners, if you could, um, I mean, we know who Paul Bowles is, and I think most of the group does as the well. The listeners do? I think so, maybe. Really? I didn't think... I, though he's very popular, I get all these. Paul, everybody's made a film on Paul Bowles since I made this film. By the way, <laughs> there are about six other films. Of course, they're right. not on the level of mine. I but, doubt it. I doubt it. But there are these six or seven other films. Right, but I, I think I mean yes. I he you know he, he's the most famous expat, right? And, and a great writer and and a touchstone for. Um, the Beats, right, and uh, who made pilgrimages to him and yeah. all that, right? But, uh, and so in 69, that was sort of the height of his, uh, of people being aware of who he was in terms of, you know, living uh, Only abroad, being, right? No, it took no. a long time later. The French were more responsible than, I, I met the guy who pushed, Push Paul to you know a certain level in France, oh. and uh, so he, in France he was that was the first place, and then later this was later the United States. Uh-huh. But I, he had fame in when he with the first novel, The Sheltering Sky. Oh yes, The Sheltering Sky. And some of the short, the short stories are fabulous. I mean, his, yeah. his greatest work, I think, are the short stories. Really? I, yeah, I've, I've read The Sheltering Sky. I have not read the short stories. I'll look them up. But, um, yeah, and The Sheltering Sky was like, uh, it, 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 you know, it, it hit a, a nerve, I guess, for people, you know, like Kerouac, who wanted to be on the road, right? So, but when you did your... Um, uh, documentary. You went and you hung out with him, or what happened? Yeah, I spent a lot of time in Tangier. I, I first of all, I rented a car in Paris uh, for no. I'm sorry, I didn't rent the car. I bought the car in Paris for something like fifty dollars. This is 1969. <laughs> it was an Opal, and the Opal, the Opal. I went, took it to another garage, and said it won't go past Bordeaux. Which would be a fine place to break down. (laughs) Not only went past Bordeaux, it went all through Morocco and and Europe, and uh, you know, I deserted on the streets of London. But it was saved in in Morocco in the desert by some guy who walked past who, who said, I can take care of it and put some straw in between something in the motor. And it worked. And it worked. <laughs> but so well, I had, his, like I had Paul Bo- I was with Paul Bowles in his last two trips. 
to Mara to to the desert to, and I spent a lot of time with it. And then I wrote the screenplay. I was supposed to do Let It Come Down, and it was just, just had it all cast. Every Delphine Serig was even in it. And, you know, it was for my my friend of years was a con man. I knew he was a con man, but he had conned the wrong person. And he, of these three other persons from different countries, they realized this guy may not have the money. And so that was ruined. Uh, but any, there's a film I really, you know, that's what I really wanted to do, let it come down. So I had it all cast and every, and I had a great camera, two great cameramen, one French, one uh, Irish. That's all you need, really. <laughs> two, two, great, two great, two great cameramen. Yeah. Well. All right. Well, I, I we're pretty much done here, unless you have something to add. I well, I want to say this yeah, film on yeah. Hollywood. Yeah, do it. I just want to say that I on my website it says not completed, but it really is completed. And this is the but the quality of the image is not very good, particularly in the beginning. But if that doesn't bother you. In other words, the what they have to say, some very amusing and really brings Hollywood of the 30s and early 40s to the people. What, what's the name of this film? The, it's Hollywood Social Life of the 30s and 40s. Oh, well, that sounds like fun. How long is that right now? Are you editing it still? No, I, I finished done. a long time it's in ago. The can. Because, in other words, I could find some great images again, but I don't. Yeah. It, it depends upon the the interviews. Sure. And I think the interviews are pretty good. Yeah, who's in it? Well, I start with Artie Shaw. Oh, wow. And it's it, it, the quality, the image is not good on Artie. Then I go to Faye Ray. <laughs> And Fabre has lots of wonderful. I, they can be a little sentimental, but they're you know. Sure. And then I go to Douglas Fairbanks Jr. Oh wow! And then, well, it, it, there are quite a few. All, all, yeah, sure. No, that's okay. Well, all the stars. It sounds like. I mean, that that's quite the pantheon right there. That, those, the Fabre. I mean, come on. Fabre. Lived in, you know, she was a big Hollywood luminary and yeah, social yeah, yeah. elite and intellectual group, you know, the whole thing. Right. And and Artie Shaw, of course, and uh, Dr. Fairbanks Jr. I saw the other night just a little bit of Howard Hawks's Dawn, it wasn't called the Dawn Patrol. I, John Monk Saunders, who was married to Faye Ray, wrote the script and was called something else. But they're beautiful. Bar Barthamus is in it too. Not that he's great, but he's good. And it's better than the 38 uh, film made by Granger, I think, uh, with Errol Flynn and David yeah. Niven. This first one with the Howard Hawks film is really good. It's like another film I saw on TCM. I only, yeah. since I don't have the website on my television, they don't get, you know, I used to. Now I have the. The, uh, the my iPad, iPad and iPad. so uh, I looked at the narrow margin, which uh, I hadn't seen for you. But really wonderful film, I thought of the right. fifty fifty two film. Did Hawks do the Big Sleep? No. Oh yeah. Yeah right. Yeah, that was Howard Hawks. <laughs> anyway, well, 
listening. Gary, it's been a pleasure talking to you. It's great. I love talking. Super fun. (laughs) Well, I love having you on. It's really great. So, once again, if you want to get the films, and Gary will go to the post office just for you if you order these films that we've been talking about at GaryConklinFilms.com, and that's G-A-R-Y-C-O-N-K-L-I-N, films, with an S, dot com. Right? Right. Cool. All right, man. Thanks. Oh, hey, quickly, uh, I, I got uh, some DVDs from Gary um, that will be selling through aggeiger.com. They'll be up uh, in the store. I have uh, Hollywood Social Life of the 30s and 40s, that film that he uh, referenced towards the end of the interview, and then the uh, Rufino Tamayo sources of his art. Um, so check it out, aggeiger.com. Um and then Gary doesn't have to go to the post office. So, uh, hey, thanks for listening. Um, A.G. Geiger Presents is uh, produced by me, Michael Delgado, in conjunction with the Mayfair Hotel in downtown L.A. and the music and artist management company Regime 72. You can check us out at MayfairLA.com, Regime72.com, and, of course, A.G. Geiger.com. Thanks for listening.